we'll, we'll drag the weights out to the circle so they can step right out of the circle and, and do if it's a clean, do a clean and, you know, relax. Or, you know, when I was coaching the girls up in Pinatan, I had my throwing farm up there. They just jump. I mean, they just jump on the quad, ride the quad up to the weight room, do a few sets and come back down <laughs> and throw again. It's done right there. The whole thing. It's literally you take four or five throws and run up to the weight room, do a few sets, do whatever's prescribed, come back down. It's all done right there. You, it doesn't have to be that way. You could, you can change it up any way you want. It's the, 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 you know, the thing that's important. And I think this was in your example with Lauren is that it's not about really the so much about the specifics of what you're doing. It's the actual change. That is what's, what's, what's important. That was track and field coach and training organization expert, Derek Evely, speaking on the importance of training variation and how it can be used in the scope of complex training uh, in getting the ultimate adaptation, especially for advanced athletes. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Uh, we have back on the line Derek Evely. He is a training organization expert, well-versed in the Bonderchuk training system. As a track and field coach, he has trained all, all types of athletes, not just throwers, to a very high level. And if you ask great coaches, uh, who in the world is one of the best, if not the best, in terms of training organization, putting parts of training together, tracking adaptation, getting athletes to hit their highest marks and peak at the right time. Uh, Derek Evely is a name you are going to hear a lot, and for a good reason. Uh, in terms of training, uh, planning, organization, he is the man. I love talking to the guy. Uh, he was originally appeared back on episode 43. He is back on again, and we are, uh, we're back with another great lineup of questions. Uh, last time, Derek spoke on the core principles of the Bonderchuk training system, and how the ideas can be applied uh, very specifically, like kind of porting some things over into sprint training and speed training. Uh, the Bonderchuk training system was used or invented by Anatoly Bonderchuk, was used in the 80s and 90s, particularly to yield very consistent Olympic medal sweeps in the hammer throw, um, and was was historic in its in its dominance and how those athletes became so good. 
Uh, if you did not get a chance to catch episode 43, which if you haven't um, heard about the system, 43 is a good place to go. Uh, Hammer Media also has some great podcasts with Derek speaking on uh, the Bonder Chuck trading system. But I'll just give you a very quick overview of it again, uh, just for if you're listening to the podcast, and you don't know what the system is, you may get a little bit lost. So I'll, I'll clarify some things for reference sake. Uh, and at its essence, it's doing uh, one or maybe two workouts. And I believe uh, Derek might even incorporate three in some cases. But let's just say to keep it simple, doing the same exact workout every day. And that workout is going to be composed of four basic parts. Uh, the first is the competitive exercise which is the specific event you're doing. So if it's shot puts, throwing a shot put, maybe the same weight as competition, maybe a little under, maybe a little over. A special strength exercise, so something that would mimic your main exercise. So in shot put, maybe it's a sandbag throw that mimics all the same joint motions. It's just with a different, you're throwing something a little bit different. Uh, then you have a special uh, preparatory exercise, which is generally a strength movement that uses the same prime muscles as your events. So for shot put, maybe we're talking a push jerk, a clean, a lot of stuff that's in the weight room would go here. And then basic general triplanar exercises. So basic circuit exercises that such as um, rotational movements and, and core and abdominal movements in the weight room, low back movements, those types of things. Uh, so those four elements are going to be in every workout. Um, they're in a small enough volume that you're not going to blow the circuits and you're doing that every day. And then you're tracking the adaptation by looking at what the distance of, of that main, extra, main throw was, that shot put throw. And basically when you tap out, so after you do enough sessions and your shot put uh, performance increases, uh, eventually it will start to come back down after reaching a peak at which point you have reached your adaptation and then you will go through a rest period and then go through a new cycle changing all the exercises and that means you get the overload through the variation every time i do a little summary before i bring a world expert on i always get a little bit nervous about doing that i want to make sure i, I get, got it right but i do believe that's a good um i do believe that's a good description and the beauty of the system is it's it's very simple you only have one or two maybe three workouts and so it's easier to make a good guess as to what was influencing the performance, how it influenced the performance. Uh, the weights that you use generally, like they don't change. So the system is very set up to be able to track and assess athletes' performance and adaptation curves. Whereas a traditional program, it might be a lot more difficult because the weights in the program are always changing and there's a lot more me methods and means and those types of ideas. So uh, that's the system in a nutshell. Uh, it's for today's podcast. Uh, again, last time we talked a little bit about the Bonder Tech system, how it can port over to things like speed training. Uh, today we're going to go into um, today we're going to go into ideas that uh, revolve a little bit more about Derek's thoughts and ideas on uh, common periodization. Um, common periodization means like delayed transformation, so doing like a heavy strength training block and then. Uh, working speed after that block. We're going to talk about the role of variation in producing overload, which you heard a little bit about in the intro. So, and, and which is that is just massive, especially if you've been working with athletes for some time, more advanced athletes, you're getting into things like complex training and French contrast, and you're trying to figure out how to manage that variation over time. Derek's going to go into that. He's going to talk about how to create an optimal peaking cycle and gathering information from previous cycles. And also, he's going to get into an awesome talk on the part system or, or complex training and how that can be used, especially in advanced athletes, athletes with good training experience, to continue uh, delivering that variation that they need so much into their system to get those gains. 
So let's get on to the podcast 102 with Derek Evely. Again, don't forget to check out the new course he has coming out regarding training organization and what he's learned from the Bondarchuk training system. Let's get to the show. Derek, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here again. Hey, it's good to be back. Yeah, so I know uh, you've been doing a little bit of traveling since last time. I think we were uh, episode 60-something before. And uh, So what's been new in the life of Derek Evely over the last year? Well, last year I was in China for uh, seven months. I had a coaching uh, coaching contract there, and it uh, you know went quite well and um, was pretty productive. But I'm trying to find ways to uh, work, stay at home more. You know, I got three kids, uh, young age, and you're you're expecting one, right? Oh, As yeah. we speak, yeah. actually. Yeah, I might get a text here from the wife. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. So. Yeah, so for those listening, I was getting emails going, yeah, well, we're going to do this Friday morning. It looks like my wife drops drops a kid, right? So <laughs> uh, so it looks like she didn't drop it, so here we are. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm trying to find ways to, to spend more time at home. And um, also, I've started a, a, a website. It's uh, eviltracksport.com. Uh, it's not live yet, so, so if you search for that, you won't find it. But... And uh, I'm going to be hosting courses on, um, you know, various things. But what I'm I'm launching it with a Bondarchuk uh, course, uh, and that should be up live at the beginning to the to mid June somewhere. That's what I'm targeting right now. And uh, yeah, you know, so it's like I I'm trying to find ways to, you know, uh, rather than do a lot of conference work and present this stuff. And which is really difficult when you're talking about Bondarchuk stuff, although I don't always present on that. In fact, I rarely kind of present on that. But, um, you know, it's that's really not the platform to sort of to sort of get the whole Bondarchuk system across, which has never been done before. And that's the other reason why I, I, I'm doing it is because I get. I get. I mean, literally, I am getting two to three inquiries a week uh, from people um uh, that want to know more about the system. And it's, you know, it, it's like even Bondarchuk him, himself has never really explained to people how to actually, the nuts and bolts, how do you put this thing together? Uh, you And trust me, you will not get it from reading the books. And so I just decided to bite the bullet. I've been meaning to do it for years now. And I just decided to uh, bite the bullet and and uh and do an actual course on it and so i'm i'm in the process right now of writing all the content it's mostly going to be videos uh with some written content uh the book that him and i wrote which a lot of people have probably if, if you've heard me talk about it before uh him and i wrote a book on um on his methodology years ago but it never saw the light of day so when we wrote it, it was it was very painstaking process of him writing everything down in Russian, translating it. And then the next morning, me trying to decipher that. And we got frustrated after about six months of that. It's when he lived with me back in 2005. And then he went off on his own to write all the periodization books, those little blue and green colored, purple colored books. And so... Um, but I, we never released that. Nobody ever saw that. So I'm using a lot of that. That'll be up there. Uh, some of that is the framework for the course. And it's it's pretty crazy because once I started actually doing the course, there's a lot to it. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's there. I'm probably going to have somewhere between 12 to 20 hours of video 
walking people through how to do Bonnerchuk for any sport. And, uh, you know, so that's what I've been consumed with lately. And I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. So if anybody's interested in that, that's, that's where you'll go. But I, like I said, it should be live early to mid June. I will tweet it out when it's live. Um, and, uh, you know, so, yeah. So, and I'm, I'm doing this in, you know, with Dr. B, you won't see him on it. There's, there's, uh, he's got, there's reasons with his, uh, his, uh, his Russian or his Ukrainian publisher for that. He can't really be on the site, but I am consulting with him, uh, where I need to. It's not that, not that much, but uh, I do go over there every few days and we, we run through what I've done and, you know, to get the okay from him on it. So it's all, it's all, and it's, I'm pretty proud of the content. It looks pretty good at this point. Yeah. I, uh, I think one of the things that's always, uh, ever since I've become aware of the Vonderchuk uh, philosophies and ideals is, that gap a little bit between just kind of getting the general gist of it and then once you start to actually dig deep into the nuts and bolts and how it can apply to things and so that sounds really cool i, I think that'll really help out a lot of people and uh always transferring philosophies over across sports too i know we talked a lot about that last podcast but it sounds like a really cool opportunity there for you and um i'm, I'm exceptionally excited for that to that to hit the market yeah you know i mean it's it's uh you know, the, the biggest problem with the Bonnerchuk thing, like I said, it's never, you know, there's nowhere you can go to, to sort of get an explanation on it. Unless you talk to the athletes that have done it or myself or Bingus or someone like that. But the problem is, is that if you talk to the athletes about it, the, the system is so individualized that you get what their version is of it. And so I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get away from that and show offer a comprehensive approach to, you know, what, what is all the, the basic philosophy, the theory behind it. And then I give, and I do what Bonnerchuk just does not do in his books is that give examples. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly giving examples in it. You know, this is what you do in this situation. And I think, you know, this is the last thing I'll say about it and then we can move on. But, uh, I think that, um, it's important to understand one of the big myths out there with the Bonnerchuk system is that, you have to give up whatever your your you know a lot of your favorite you know things that are in your bag of tricks in terms of how you develop athletes and you, you don't have to do that what the Bonnerchuk system really is it's an overall system how you how you put everything together yes there's some rules you have to stick by but you can actually i mean there's a ton of creativity there's a ton of room for creativity in terms of developing your own, you know, how you design programs and your workouts and things like that. Um, this is the Bonner truck system is really all about how you manage the cycles from one to another and, you know, how you structure those cycles. So, so anyway, so hopefully it's, uh, it's going to fly and, uh, it'll give people some insight. And I think you can, even if you don't do Bonner truck, I talk a lot about this in the introduction, even if you, you're not going to implement the Bonner truck system, there's some stuff in there that is like I think really important for coaches to uh, to understand. There's things that I've learned doing the system, giving me some insight into how athletes react to training that I think every single coach should know. So, yeah, I think that I mean, I think that is typically a lot of people would be like, oh man, I have to do like a similar workout, you know, this often or something like that, and I want to do different stuff. But to me, it's more like being able to assess and track if what you did, how, the reaction of what you did. And 
being able to quantify that, even if it's not, uh, I think that's ultimately what I've, you know, striven for. <laughs> is that a word? Striven? <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm always constantly striving for. And I think that system is just so good at helping athletes or helping coaches figure that out. And I know with creativity too, you had mentioned, I think Bonnerchuk was highly experimental um, and creative in his stuff, even within, you know, a system that people might say it's not. And so that's interesting to me. He, uh, he, it's all he does is experiment, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I think, you know, again, that's one of the reasons, you know, I mean, it, it, his system with his athletes hasn't always worked out since he got to North America. And a lot of that is because he's, he's playing around. He's experimenting with things all the time. And, and you know, it's just, I, I go through all of that on, on the site. It's just very difficult to decipher with Bonnerchuk, when you watch him doing what he's doing, what is an experiment and what is actual, you know, <laughs> you know, like, but like I said, there's so much, there's so much room for experimentation and doing your own thing within the system that, you know, it, 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 it can be misleading, but hopefully by the end of the course, uh, when if someone takes course, they, they understand all that. So, yeah. Well, hey, let's dig into some nuts and bolts of some of the things um, that I think will, you know, hopefully I'm sure are in the course, but just general topics and ideas on training athletes and ideas and uh, Bonderchuk's system. But one of the one of the things, Derek, you talked about last time that I thought was really cool. You mentioned um, that you thought athletes who had a, like a very good maximal strength base and then switched to the Bonderchuk system that that combination seemed to work uh, fairly well. Um, or very well for those athletes. And I was wondering if you could expand on your thoughts on, on maximal strength development uh, in the role of throwers. Uh, do you think like the idea of get really strong and then uh, and then you would taper down once you are strong enough or, or bringing maximal strength up very slowly over a period of time? Um, what are some uh, kind of digging into that uh, thoughts in that uh, realm? Because I know that's always hotly debated. Well, I'm I'm a big believer on a complex methodology. I go through that extensively in the course um, where where you can do a complex methodology. But, uh, you know, what does that what does complex really mean? Does that mean doing everything in the same season, in the same macro, in the same, you know, uh, in the same microcycle or even in the same session? Right. Um not all sports can do all four exercise classifications can do all forms of work in the same session. So, you know, first of all, we need to talk about, you know, what is, what is complex? Well, I, I believe that in every single micro, you need to be working on all four, all, all types of all four exercise classifications. Now you can cycle the differences in those from, from what we call a PDSF or what someone might call a macrocycle, a collection of microcycles that ends in a in a peak, you can you can shift the focus from one of those to the next. But I think in terms of throws, when we're talking about maximal strength, yeah, I mean it 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 always needs to be there. I don't, and this is one of the big myths with Bonnerchuk is that he you know he's a non-believer in maximal strength or anything like that. It was just simply isn't true. Um, if you ask him, he'll tell you that there is a certain level of, of absolute strength or maximal strength. I know, you know those aren't exactly the same, but let's, for this com sake of this conversation, let's just say it is. There's a certain level of that absolute strength that a thrower needs to be successful at any level, right? I mean, I think everybody can accept that. The problem is, is that 
we're not sure what those levels are. No, nobody's really sure what those levels are because the the only way to really examine it is to do a retro analysis, which Bonnerchuk has done tons of. And so what happened with that is that he found that when he went back and he and he looked at all the different levels of throwing, say you take you're a javelin guy, right? Yeah, yeah. So say you take the javelin and you look at okay everybody between. 55 and 60 is a zone and 60 and 65 and you go all the way up to 90 and 100 meters or whatever um you know he they tested all of these athletes which is essentially asking for their pbs in questionnaires and when you look at the results it's like yeah i mean everybody is is over a certain level of maximal strength at certain levels but the variance is kind of wild. Like when you look over, like say you look at javelin throwers over 80 meters, there's some are super strong and some are not so strong. So, you know, that led him to this, this conclusion that, well, you know, more maximal strength is not better. Does not necessarily mean, you know, it's better, um, which I agree with. But you need some, okay? I mean, you know, so we can all – all agree that you need some um the problem is and, and then the second question of that is how do you how do you get it like how how do you get there right so that because that complicates everything so we know that just doing ballistic type of exercises whether even if it's throwing the javelin or you know the example we throw out there a lot is sprinting you know that will increase your maximal strength we know that Will it increase it enough to that if you, that you can't if you don't do any maximal strength or any, you know, will that increase it enough to be a world class thrower? Probably not. So you probably need some. Um, but you know, to me, the the issue really comes down to black and white thinking, right? Is people say, well, I either going to do lots of it or I'm not going to do any of it, and that's that's really not what it's about. It's about working the need for that level of strength within your within your program within your system doing it on a you know regularly and consistently and making sure that the way that you dose it fits in with your overall strategy in terms of periodization and cycle design and development okay so and so again it comes back for me it comes back to not doing huge blocks of strength and then unloading and doing huge blocks of of uh you know of specific work right i like to bring them all along at the same time in the bonder truck system when you're talking about throwers especially heavy throwers you know that takes a bit of finesse introducing that because you are you know we're, we're lifting every day and throwing every day so you can't go and slam them with huge volumes every day otherwise you're gonna have a problem right so, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know if I gave you a straight answer there, but to me, I mean, I, I take a bit different approach than Dr. B does in that if you go and look, you know, for him, I think if he's made any mistakes in implementing his own system, especially when he was here in Kamloops, you know, he probably didn't probably let off on that a bit too much. And I think a few people probably paid the price for that, you know, after two or three years. Um, when we look at Dylan, I mean, Dylan was so, I coached Dylan up until he was 24, 25 and threw about 20 meters, 1983. 
Um, he actually had thrown over 20 meters in practice right before Dr. B got here. But Dylan was so grotesquely strong um, that I think it carried him a long time, right? And plus, you know, it, and so he was able, you know, his his growth just continued with Dr. B. It worked out really well. But back to your original question, yeah, I think, I think you know, athletes that come from big strength backgrounds and then do the Bonner truck system, I think they initially – have a big jump off of that um but but sooner or later you're going to need to get back to it or or those levels are going to taper off unless you are just retardedly strong like dylan was um and uh you know and it carried a bit longer for him so so i'm always trying to find ways to implement that that max strength in there um um, do a bit of it, but not again, not let it interfere, not do big blocks of it or develop it to the detriment of these, the SDE and the CE, the, the specific development exercises and the competitive exercise. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I think um, in, in unpacking uh, a lot of the uh, just the really insightful things, and, and uh, that's very helpful to me because I think like ultimately going into case studies and retrospective is a lot more valuable than the, a lot of the broad spectrum research studies, especially on you know physical education cost students and stuff like that. Like going into it, uh, but I think one of the things that I'd like if you could uh, expand here a little bit, but like I think the idea of I think a lot of what could, a lot of what it could come down to is. Um, not, like you said, not letting the strike training interfere with the competitive exercise, which basically I think would take out that idea of having a strength block, like classic periodization, strength phase, max strength phase, power phase. I I guess would it be safe to say that like that mentality, especially that, I know you see this a lot in like Rikoshansky's work, that big strength block, like that big colored block and then the line where they're, they go way down and then they come way back up. I've always had I've had some problems with that trying that out. I've always felt like just bringing everything up in tandem has always been more effective. Is there any ever I mean, is it ever a good idea to have like a strength block or emphasis where that might be dragging down or temporarily inhibiting some some speed um, abilities from like being realized? Or, or happening or is that I mean I maybe I'm trying do you get what I'm getting at I'm trying to kind of totally yeah. totally totally and I go th again some shameless self-promotion here but I, I go through that extensively in in the course so again what's gonna kill you here is black and white thinking okay so yes I prefer to develop those abilities those strength abilities simultaneously with the specific ones but that doesn't mean that when you when you step back and you look at the bonner truck system and you go okay well a typical say a, you know a typical thrower um may have five to six peaks pdss in a given season and that's what makes the system so different right sprinters maybe three to four if you're lucky uh, then there's other situations where, um, uh, you know, other sports where you may not get that many, but you're trying to get as, as many as you can, but there's realities there, the way the sport's set up, whatever, right? Uh, the need for recovery between specific sessions and things like that. So 
but that doesn't mean that you if you look at those five say let's for example say that you're a javelin guy and you know you're probably going to get five to six of these session or of these pdsfs these cycles which again is roughly equivalent to what you might call a meso or macro cycle depending on what that term means to you oh god but those you can have an emphasis on those it's but it's it's a matter of degrees right so it you know certain parts of this season or if i feel an athlete is lacking in that area i may amp up the max strength in one pdsf i may add an extra exercise in i may uh you know i may i may experiment with different loading schemes to get whatever effect i want but i'm not gonna do it to the exclusion of the specific work right because to me i just never want to get away from that specific work too much unless i feel there's a there's a need for it okay so as great as the Vershansky block system seems and it can work and it, and sometimes you have no choice. Okay. There are sports where you have no choice in that. If you're, and I use this as, a, as an example in, in the course, I mean, if you're a ski jumper and you spend most of your season away from a ski hill, or most of your life away from, and you're only being brought into a camp, in the winter for two months, well, then the block system may work very well for you. I mean, it's not, it's not a matter of, is it a bad system or is it a good system? But the way I look at it is, you know, if you can do specific work all around and you should, you should try to be able to do that. You should try to create an environment where you can do specific work all the time. Then you need to do it because that's the fastest way to development. There's no doubt. Um, I mean, if you go and t you talk to any world-class sprint coach and they will tell you that the idea of not sprinting for three to four month blocks, it's just, they're just not going to do it. They're just, you know, regardless of what, you know, the you may gain big strength gains, but with, you know, and then there may be, be a delayed onset. It's just not worth it. It's just not, it's just, it just doesn't, it just, you know, you're, there's a better way and it's using this complex method if you can. So it's not a matter, again, it's not black and white. It's not like use a complex or don't use a complex. It's try to get as, try to take that principle that is behind sort of a complex methodology and move as close to it as you can within the, the realities that are, that is whatever your reality is for your sport. Yeah, I like so, that. Yeah, <clears throat> that makes that makes good sense too. With like the ski hill jumper, yeah, those sports where if you can't be in your sport the whole time, but it, but if you can, which I mean, throwing is pretty simple and straightforward. Well, I mean, I guess some people might not have access to a throwing field or something like that at particular points, but yeah, if you can't do it, it, it totally would make sense. But yeah, in the sprinting example, um, yeah, like if you went, if you just did strength work for three months or four months and by the time you actually got running, your coordination and your muscle balance would be such a different place. Like the sprint technique would probably be off at that point. It would take you a while just to get it back and be in, in harmony and, and, and synchro, uh, synchronicity. So mm -hmm. that it definitely, um, it definitely, it makes me think too, you, you were talking about uh, where if you do need to add or bring a strength level up, like a javelin thrower needs to get stronger. It makes like, I would imagine that strength cycle 
that where you're like, okay, we're going to put more strength in, you would still expect for their javelin to be better at the end of that cycle, not worse, like at the expense of strength. Yeah. Like you would expect for that strength to make a positive impact right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I'm coaching a guy right now, long distance, John uh, Krakowski, who was our national champion last year, but he's kind of been tapering off the last few years. So I've been working with him this year, and and uh, you know, it's exactly what we're we were in exactly that situation. You know, we needed to increase his left side block more, um, so we put some exercises in um, that uh, you know. Uh, in the first PDSF, I think it worked well. He's throwing quite well in workout um, right now. And, uh, you, you know, but we didn't give up the javelin, right? I mean, it's it all comes down to the nuances of exercise prescription, okay, and loading. And it's, you know, it's not about abandoning doing all forms of specific work and then slamming them with strength. That's what you want to kind of get away from, right? Um you know, and there, and the reality is too, is there's, you know, different roads lead to Rome, right? You know, so is, is that the same? I mean, anyway, <laughs> there are coaches out there that are big, big weight room guy. From what I hear, big weight room guys are hugely successful. So you look at uh, like John Smith, the guy in Mississippi, you know, I mean, he, he is a fantastically successful program. Um, and I'm not, you know, I mean, he's more successful than I um with this with his throwers and he's um you know he's big strength guy and i although i will say this though i think sometimes you know you hear stories about people and it gets misleading i'll bet you if you go in and you look at that even that guy's program it's very specific all all year round and again there may be big strength block emphasis which is you're coaching shot putters you need to do that um, but I'll, and I'll bet you he probably does less pure, absolute maximal strength than we actually think. And he's probably moving the bar. They're probably have an emphasis on speed in their lifting and they just get grotesquely strong off of that. And he's, you know, and that's what you do as a throws coach. That's what you got to do. So, you know, you have to, I've learned you have to be careful it, it with, with, you know, um, you know, with making assumptions from what for the rumors you hear about people and their programs and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's, uh, you know, so but I guarantee you again, using him as an example, if you went in like Nick Garcia did, you travel there and you hang out with a guy for a couple of weeks. You'll you'll if you really look at it, he's doing the same as every world class throws coach is doing. But there may be shifts here, depending on what week you show up to see what he's doing. There may be shifts here and there but essentially he he knows how to get an athlete to a world-class level and 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 you know to the podium and it's you know it's just a it's just a different you know he's probably his program is probably a reflection of his his environment and the athlete he works with just like any other smart coach yeah i um hope that made sense no, it definitely does. And I, I imagine like the, the generalities too, like even when these athletes are doing these, these maximal strength blocks, so to speak, I'm sure it's, it's not to the point where like, that is such a huge portion of the program. They're just like not throwing it or their throws are going down because they're doing it too much. Like I'm sure it's their throws are probably going up at that, that point, you know, it's, it's probably done in balance and with amount of balance and harmony to it. Uh, and not, yeah, well, it's, it's all about the nuance, right? It's all about, you know, and, and Hey, in the Bonnercheck system, 
you know, in two of the three reactions, athletes go down. Athletes go down before they come up and they get and it's it's a bad down sometimes, man. If you you show up to workouts that day, they're a, they're throwing John in his last cycle had a 10 meter spread between his worst throw in the cycle and his best throw. Wow. That's huge. So, yeah, I mean, it's not all about keeping athletes at the super high level all the time, but it's it's, you know, it's, it's, you have to be careful how the assumptions you make when you hear things and but it, it, you, you you know, it's like you need to look at the reality, the facts. Yeah, to me, those those spreads are that takes a lot of faith. Like on the, I mean, for me, I know I start to get in a really bad mood if I if I'm in a training cycle myself or in, in times past, and my performance would start to crater. Like I know I wasn't on the the system, the system or anything like that. And my, but I mean, I know athletes. I mean, what's it like with athletes and trying to keep them? Uh, steered towards the goal mentally or keeping them dialed in mentally if they're in that big of a spread? Is that a challenge in the system? It is when it's the first time you're working with them. So, again, you know, I one of the biggest sections in this course is dealing with this, right, it, that I'm doing is the peculiarities of sport form in the Bonnetrick system where, you know, two of the three reactions involve a dip in performance before – the athlete starts to adapt and, and the results start to climb. When you are doing this system with a new athlete, it requires a leap of faith on their part. And because, you know, they haven't experienced it. So think about it, you know, they take on a new coach and John is fantastic to work with. He's one of the great, he's one of the best athletes I've ever worked with in terms of just being able to interact with, and he's so on the ball, it's just been a real pleasure to coach him. But, you know, think about it, you know, you start with this new coach, you're doing this this system you really, you know, don't know anything about, and all of a sudden, in the first two weeks, your results go down five meters. You're like, oh, like, what did I do, right? And, um, but, you know, it, so with a new athlete, it requires, you know, I, 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 it requires some education and communication. So I say, look, you know, the, it, you, you need to prepare yourself for this because this is what could happen. Um, and he was fine with it, right? I sent him some examples of, uh, of, of other athletes I've coached, you know. And remember, we're not changing anything. So the natural reaction for all coaches in the world is that when <laughs> something starts going down, you need to change things to bring it back up. And we don't do that. We just wait it out till it comes back up. But when it's an athlete that you've worked with for a while and they've gone through that process, it's easy because they just accept it. They know that's that, that could be one of their paths to adaptation. And if you need to, like I used to do with uh, a number of my athletes, particularly going into big events is I pull out the past data and I say, look, you know that you peak in X amount of sessions and between session X and X, it you're down and that's where we are and you can, it's coming and it always comes back up. So, um, you know, it's, I just, I rely on the data. The only time you ever, you ever have to, uh, address it is when you have a new athlete. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, that's where the reactions are fascinating to me as well. I have you like some athletes who can go up right away, some who go down right away, uh, some who are in the middle. Uh, have you noticed any kind of just general trends, whether it be psychological, um, physical, uh, with an athlete who might do? You, like, if you get a new athlete, is there any 
times you can even kind of predict what's gonna their reaction is gonna be like? No, um, the only way to do that, uh, you, okay. Uh, again, go through this extensive. There's a lot to this, uh, and one of the I've said this before in, in other interviews and presentations is that one of the probably the most difficult part of the Bonnerchuk system to get my head around and the last part which I figured out was the rest cycles because that has a huge impact on things and even doing this course you know I would you know I mean I've done this for years and I've got it pretty I think I've got it pretty much figured out but even with the reactions from uh whether you put a rest cycle in or don't put a rest cycle in I you know Dr. B threw me a curveball a couple weeks ago about it you know, and he's always experimenting and changing his ideas. So, but basically it comes down to this, like, it, you know, those three reactions are inherent in a lot of athletes, but they also will change. They will definitely change depending upon how you structure your, 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 how you periodize your, your development cycles, your PDSF, what we call period of development, of sport form PDSF. Um, number one, start, start off at a lower level, 90 to 85% of form, which is basically completely out of shape. Number two, start off somewhere between 95 and, uh, and 92%. Number three, start off 95, 96, maybe not, you know, at a higher level. Okay. So that's, you know, we, we, we sort all that out in, 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 you know, that's a long discussion how those, so the amount of detraining that happens before you start the cycle has an impact on whether you, uh, on which of the reactions that you're going to be. So you might be able to predict it that way. Um, you know, and there's, like I said, there's a few curveballs I go on. I talk about in the course, which are pretty essential to know if you're regardless of who you're training. The big thing is this. I mean, if, if the, the big message, if you're not doing Bonner Chuck, the one of the big messages that I try to get across to people is you have to under you have to appreciate the the impact that variation and change has on how an athlete reacts to training across the board. Okay. Doesn't matter what your system is. Okay. The only difference between the only when you, you boil it right down, the only difference between the bonder truck system and any other system is we really manage that change. I mean, really manage it. We use a change of exercise set as the primary driver of adaptation as opposed to wave loading all the you know volumes and intensities, right? And in doing that, having done that for 10 years now, um, I've learned that. I mean, like if like you have to be, you have to be careful how how much you change because because just random chaotic change can throw the athlete in all kinds of the reaction can go in all kinds of different directions. Maybe a good direction, but sometimes you're taking a chance. They can you know. So if you want to manage that and peak properly, you have to control it. So yeah, that's good stuff, uh, Derek. I want to take it before I forget. I want to take it back to something you were talking about earlier with, with kind of put it, deciding to put in more of a max strength emphasis emphasis in each PDSF or developmental cycle. And this is something I've been thinking about I really for a few years, but there was a study that came out. It was like, again, I, I don't think the subjects were highly trained. Um, they had some training, but it was like 
they found that it, they had these athletes doing a periods of 10 week training blocks and the first block was 80 percent one rep max and the second was 60 and some athletes had better rate of force development adaptation to the 80 and some had better to the 60 so it was like you have these strength or speed responders and uh, i was wondering what you do you kind of have athletes that tend to go like light to heavy in that sort of emphasis throughout the court of the year course of the year or heavy to light or is it really just really one cycle to the next um, deciding after each cycle which the next direction you'll go in terms of a strength emphasis how do you kind of manage that throughout each year in the developmental cycles well again you know it goes back to the long-term implementation of this thing you know from from pdsf to pdsf block of micros you know from one peak condition to another okay um there can be emphasis but they're subtle okay they're subtle basically i'm always in each one this is another sort of big difference here is that we're all i'm just trying to get an athlete as much growth within each one of those pdsfs as possible this and again this is something that bondercheck probably doesn't do i haven't really seen any anecdotal evidence of him doing it but i may go in the off season a bit higher up in the rep scheme but i'd never go outside of developing true speed and power i don't need to you know i mean there's no point in me doing it unless i feel like um we've been so long within say two to six reps years i may go up to eight reps for a cycle just you know that kind of thing like work maybe go more into the hypertrophy range or something but only if I feel we've exhausted all other possibilities and we just need a change up. I wouldn't do it leading into competition or anything like that. I, you know, but generally speaking, no, I stay within the, I stay within the, you know, highly specific boundaries needed. And I just change the exercise set. Again, that's the, that's the, the driving thing in the Bonner check system. Um, sorry, what was your, uh, where was that question going again oh no worries <laughs> yeah yeah like just kind of the idea of uh maybe more the general idea too of like coaches with like who have a light to heavy mentality throughout there or heavy to light i think heavy to light's always the common one right like oh yes like right yeah heavy, so i mean it, it's you know it's really yes you can but um but again i would rather keep things more specific as specific as possible all the time and rather than again this is rather than and bonner chuck would call that wave loading volume and intensity you're just wave loading it over the long term we don't really do that i keep it you know consistent i keep it within those very specific parameters and we just change the exercises okay so so the loading is is very it's very close to what the what the need the specific needs of whatever the competitive event is. So if you're a sprinter, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be maximal power and speed and power in the weight room. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, other than the GPE, other than GPE which is different, right? That's the one classification at the bottom, but I'm not doing I'm not using GPE to drive specific form. I'm using GPE to maintain general abilities and and promote recovery from session to session. So, yeah, sure thing. Sorry, I, oh no, that's it's a good that's a that's a great answer. I and it actually leads me to uh, just like so the final like say the championship cycle. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the information you use from the early cycles to? 
kind of put the the best exercises for the athlete in that last like training block uh, and how to I mean I've heard like you, know, you want to like save the the ones that give the best reaction uh, till like the end or, or the Olympic year or things like that um, could you give a, a couple like kind of nuts and bolts or a few examples of how you might build up that last block for now because I think that's kind of what a lot of it comes down to in terms of the generalities of that question is how do I get that athlete ready for that final block before their biggest competition Okay, so now we're talking about transfer training, okay? Um, and if, if, if I lose your – if I forget to answer your question, so I'm going to back up a bit. That's okay. <laughs> it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, you know my kids have me up early. Okay, so I've gotten away from annual plans now, okay? So I don't, I don't do uh, annual plans anymore um, because it's not – it's just – the only reason I would ever do it, I know where I want to be at, at specific times of the year, but the only reason I ever do it is if a, is if there's a there's an administrative requirement, someone needs it for funding, and then I, <laughs> be quite honestly, I bullshit it and I send them what they want to see. They don't look at it anyways. They never do, and even if they do look at it, they don't know how to decipher it. So, <laughs> and I get people, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I I, I get people all over. You know, email. Hey, man, hey, can you send me a plan? I got to You know, and so they just fill in the name, change something, send it. It's stupid. But I think there's there's for young coaches and developing coaches, and you know, I think we all need to have something on paper that tells us what what our long term strategy is. Just with the as I've used the Bonner Truck system, I've learned that it's it's just it's just. I just don't need to. Now, I am looking ahead. I'm looking ahead two to three PDSFs. I'm probably looking ahead a good two to three months, especially as we get up to the competitive season, okay? So that's – I needed to step back and say that for a second. So what I'm doing is throughout the year as we are – as I'm bringing an athlete into these peaks – in these PDSFs, which typically are about six to eight weeks long with most throwers, okay? Again, it all comes down to how often can you do the specific work. If you can't, you can't sprint 10 times a week. I don't care what anybody says. You can't throw javelin 10 times a week. So you that that those cycles are going to be a little different. They're going to be, you know, so those peaks are going to be a little longer, okay? But Let's say in heavy throws, we can peak in, you know, four to six weeks sometimes, okay? So that means I'm probably going to have five, six, maybe seven peaks throughout the year. As I'm going along, so I start in, you know, we start in the off season, September, October, and I, the athlete comes to peak. Then we do whatever we're, we're going to do, rest or not rest. We do another PDSF, they come in, and as those as I start to collect data from each of those PDSFs, I'm looking and I'm keeping an eye on in the cycles where we had good growth, like the curves there, there was a big peak and overall growth. So the athlete got better PBs or whatever. What did we do in those cycles? Um, and what did we do? And, you know, what I'm trying to decipher what led to that peak. I'm looking at this, even the cycle before, because yes, there is such a thing as delayed onset. I think, you know, um, there's direct transfer, indirect transfer. I mean, it, it's not easy. You never really figure it out, but 
you look at trends and I talk and I've used this example all the time. So as we're, so that's, as we're going through the year, I'm keeping, of course, I'm keeping detailed results, training data. As we get to the, as we get a few cycles out from a main competition. So let's say our main competition is in late August and the athlete is typically taking four to say six weeks to reach peak condition. So 15 weeks out, so way early in the spring, I'm starting to think about this like right now. And, um, we're doing this podcast, it's May 11th, right? So I'm starting to keep an eye on these things. And because in that PDSF, right before the major champs, I'm going to want the most growth. If in fact, the periodization works out that way, right? I mean, it doesn't always work. Sometimes you have a million competitions before and there'll be a, a maintenance period or whatever. But regardless, <clears throat> as I'm going into that last championship PDSF, I'm going to want that PDSF to be the, you know, that's got to be the, we got, that's got to be the best cycle I've ever written. It's got to be the most effective cycle with the most transfer I've ever written. So I'm going to, as I'm going through the year, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick and choose the exercises that I've, that I've introduced and the, the weight of javelins the weight room exercises, the special exercises, and I'm going to make sure those are in the last one. That's pretty obvious, right? That's common sense, right? The problem is what throws a wrench into the whole thing is that no matter how good the exercise is at stimulating adaptation, they adapt to it. And so over the long term, you cannot keep going back to the same exercises because they, they just won't improve. And this is why when I talk to particularly speed power coaches, SNC people, whoever they are, you know, I say to them, you want to do the Bonner check system. You don't have to give up your favorite modalities. You just have to understand that you can't do them all the time. And when you look at these, these, these guys that are really stuck, you know, for a while, you see it all the time. They get, they, there's some kind of new system that's out there. There's some kind of new rep scheme or there's new some form of of strength management that works really well for a time. And then after a while, then they move on to another one. Well, are you telling why did you move on to the new one? Are you telling me that the old one doesn't work anymore? They all work. If as long as they're reasonable and they're sane in their in their implementation and approach, all these different rep schemes and, and strategies they all work but they don't none of them i don't care how good it is never ever works forever so you have to you have to understand that and appreciate that and be able to m rotate and bring exercises and in and out so that um so that when you go into that last pdsf or that that last development cycle before the main comp the one, they're, they haven't done it for a while because if they've been doing it all summer, it's not going to work. We see this all the time. And that's a big reason why championship performance drops off for people because, again, it's natural to us when something works, keep doing it. Don't, broke what, <laughs> don't change what's not broken, right? Yes, that's true. But you also, have to, you also have to appreciate the reality that if you keep doing the same thing, they're going to drop off. Our sport is famous for it because – we see this, you know, athletes will do 
single periodization up until or double periodization throughout the year. First period leads to a huge growth. They come out in April, massive performances, and then they never, then we don't see those performances again or they don't improve again. This is one of the reasons why, because naturally, when you know they came out and competed and the athlete had a huge result, the coach is like, whoa, geez, what we did was awesome. Let's keep doing it. So they keep doing it and the athlete plateaus, right? Or or worse, drops off. So you it's constantly monitoring this, finding the right exercises. You just cannot keep introducing the same set of exercises. And that's, you know, and and oh my God, we go through this so much in the course. I mean, it's it's and I wish I could give you a nice packaged response to it, but you know, a, a packaged, you know, like Bonnerchuk has these books out about throwing programs. They're only meant as examples. I mean, it's you can't you, you can't keep doing the same canned stuff all the time. Um, so it's about you know it's about managing that and um, you know and then it gets even more it gets even more of a of a brain fuck in, in that you it's not just about the exercises. It's also about in the long, long term, the system. So, and again, we sort of talked about this at the beginning, you know, we're talking about athletes coming from max strength, big max strength systems, and then doing the Bonner truck system and having good growth early on. That's simply a system change, right? So there you have these, you have this need for change on all these different levels, the exercise, the loading schemes, the, the weekly periodization, the, um, the, the medium term periodization and the long term periodization, the structure of the workouts. So famously, you know, in the Bonner truck system is this, um, uh, is this parts program that we talk about all the time where you go from doing everything in a serial fashion, you know, to changing it in a, in a cycle to doing things in a parts where an athlete will throw, then go in the weight room, then come back out and throw and, you know, do that's, and then do more weight, go back in the weight room. And if you can do that, you know, and these are ju- all these are are ways to stimulate that adaptation by introducing new stimuluses on all these different levels and in, in, in all these different areas. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, that's uh. There's so much uh, good stuff in there. I'm trying to unpack it a little bit. I have a few questions to follow up with that, and I mean, I mean, that's it right there. Like, uh, one of the things as you were talking that kind of comes up in my mind is every coach, even outside the Bonner Chuck system, like intuitively knows that they can't just write the same program year after year. But I don't think I think what we tend to miss is like exactly why we are changing the exercises and structure, and and keeping better track of who responds to what and and being able to manage. Uh, responding to different exercises. I, I really like the podcast you did with Martin. Uh, I think it was a little, maybe a couple of years ago, but how athletes often will change from one coach to another and then set a personal best. And because they just needed variation so badly and they had adapted so quickly to the, the system. And I think especially probably those athletes who are the faster responders in the cycle probably even have more to suffer than, uh, than others. Like if they are just in a typical system where things don't uh, changes often as they should the better the athlete the higher the level the athlete the more trainability they have the more important this is okay so you know you can take a developing athlete and you know it doesn't it almost doesn't matter what you do 
I'm being very loose with my words there, and they will grow, okay? Because they're they're so their trainability is so freaking high that you know. But as athletes, I think I might have misspoke a second ago. But as athletes' trainability gets smaller and smaller as they get more and more elite, this becomes more this becomes more and more difficult, right? Like you 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 need to be really on top of it, and the more sensitive their nervous system is, especially in speed power events. They, they just adapt so fast, right? The, the better athletes come into form really, really quickly and um, uh, for the most part. And, um, you know, so you have to be able to react to it. That's why, you know, uh, you know, re- what they call recipe programs, you know, will, will are, you know, it's fine to do that at a lower levels. But as you get to higher levels and more elite, that's that's not it just doesn't you know it only it works but only works so long and then it stops working yeah that's that's great stuff and and just on a like a maybe a very general level so it becomes obviously you have to really tighten the screws on how you're monitoring that athlete the better they get and how they're adapting is there any um i suppose it's a difficult question but but generally speaking athletes who are more advanced their cycle length will generally become shorter and shorter over time or till, till they adapt? Will they adapt faster? Yes. Will, yeah, less. yes, but I think that's more of an adaptation to the overall system, okay? So if, you know, like most of the athletes I've worked with over three to four years, you take Mark and Sophie. Um, you know, the I don't have a lot of examples because I, ha- I don't have a lot. I've moved around so much, uh, you know, from – from Kamloops to Edmonton to Britain and back to Kamloops and um, that, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with athletes over like six, eight, ten years sort of thing. Um, but the ones, you know, like so I had Mark and Sophie and a, few, a couple other uh, – I had Mark and Sophie in Britain for um, f- three and a half years, right? And I noticed with both of them as they, you know, their time to peak condition got shorter and shorter throughout over the – course of those three years to me that is a reflection of them adapting to the system overall and becoming a better athlete right the higher the level they just they got better and better and better and as they got better they their time to read their their response to the system became shorter and shorter so um yeah and so you know like and then when i coached sultana here who'd been in a, the bonner chuck system for years before I mean, her response to training is very fast. Like she's in shape in about, or she she reaches a peak condition in about three to four weeks. It's crazy. Like you know, very short. So yeah, wow. And outside, I mean, outside the system, I imagine be it's a lot. I'm sure coaches can still do it. Like coaches with great intuition still be it do that, but it's probably a little bit harder than when you're able to track an athlete's reaction very precisely over time. Um, and yeah, that, yeah. I mean, you don't you don't need to do Bonner Chuck to to track athletes to you know to monitor an athlete and and you know be able to make you know be able to analyze data. That's nothing new to Bonner Chuck. I mean, Bonner Chuck doesn't even really track it on a computer the way I do and look at graphs. As far as I know, he just sort of writes results down, and keeps it in his head. Um, but what's unique is that we control so much that wave loading and volume and intensity it's easier to to um it's easier to sort of weed out what the you know what the effects are negative and positive in terms of what leads to growth because we're controlling we're controlling something that 
in most other systems, most other types of training is wildly changing every day. And that's fine. If you've done that, if you have a system where you understand what the, you know, that you need, that though, if you have a pattern of that change that will consistently lead to adaptation, all the power to you. I'm just saying that in ours, that's not how we do it. And, and when, when we do implement this system, we see things, I've seen things I never saw before. And so I'm not, you know, so it's just, you know, it's, it's important to control those variables, whatever those variables are, however you're controlling them, just make sure that, you know, the more, the more random and chaotic changing you have in your system, the harder it is to determine what it was that led to growth. Oh, right on. I, that last, that what you just said there, I think is so I'm trying to learn that more and more uh, each year. Uh, that last bit, what you just said, just to make it a little bit easier to kind of feed my intuition with what it needs to, to know. I, I know our time's getting close here. I had two kind of hopefully be quick questions for you. Uh, one I was thinking about, as you were mentioning, and I know within the bonder truck system, this is back to weight training a little bit, but like the weight training, you're not the, the one RM or the percentage you're working with stays the same throughout the cycle. And you've talked about VBT in the past. Uh, but do you think that if you were taking the system outside to train sprinters or, or basketball players or another sport, the value in keeping the weight the same across the cycle rather than trying to increase it throughout the cycle. Um, what do you think? Do you think that's valuable uh, outside that bonder tuck system? Yes. Yes, I do. Because I think that, you know, the more consistent it is, um, the, uh, you know, the easier it is to determine how they peak and when they peak. It's a lot easier now um, with bar velocities. Like that's really made a big, really helped out a lot like um so i think uh you know especially for snc speed power people coaches that are working in environments where they cannot control the ce and the sde particularly the ce so in other words you're working with a, a like an nba basketball player and you have zero control over their basketball plane but you're responsible for everything else then I think that that system can really help because you can control and learn, um, you know, they have so much change variation going on, you know, maybe, maybe I'm speaking outside of my area of expertise here, but I'm going to assume that, you know, there's, there's a, in the CE with the way practice is and just the nature of the sport in basketball is that, you know, this certainly they're not doing the exact same thing every day. Right. Um, so it's really, if your job is to get them powerful and stronger and a better athlete, creating sort of that speed power base to become a better athlete, the more that you can actually control that, the better. And the more random change you have in there, the harder that is to do. So yes, I do think, I do think it will, will help. Um, and again, um, the beauty with the bar velocities is now you have a way to measure that right so I'll, I'll give you an example uh so i started working with this john a couple cycles ago and he is in an environment where he's in wisconsin in milwaukee and he can't throw outside he wasn't able to throw outside the first pdsf we did and so he's thrown into a net so i can't measure um i can't measure the ce i can't me i can't measure distance thrown um so we use bar velocities. 
And so he, you know, but we kept the weight the same and, and, you know, we're, we're doing the same program, the same format of program we, that we would normally do. We're all, we're not doing is measure, actually measuring the jab because it's hitting a net, right? So we can't measure it. So I'm measuring uh, a snatch pull and a, and a single leg uh, squat or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, we found when we you set the weight, set the workout, and over the course of six weeks, he produced curves in those bar velocities just like he would in throwing distance. Then we took a rest, and then we started a new PDSF. And all of this I use in the course. I use this exact examples in the course. Um, and, uh, and we found that in the second PDSF, lo and behold, the patterns in the, uh, with different exercises in the bar velocities peaked around the same, uh, about 11 to 12, uh, 10, I think in the first one, he, he peaked at 11 exposures. And in the second one, it was nine or 10. Um, and the throws now in the second PDSF, we were able to throw outside a measure. And now his peaks in those uh, were basically mimic those of the um, of the bar velocities. Okay, so yeah, you you know, I mean, it's important to uh, you know having that additional data really really helps. And you know, the more you can control it, the more you can make inferences on on how the athlete adapts. Yeah, I uh, I think that's something that's awesome to think about and keep in all of our minds, regardless of whether we're throws coaches or just physical preparation coaches and, and being able to simplify how we look at our adaptations and the VBT too, at least keeps it motivating too, for the athlete. I think where an athlete might be demotivated by, well, it's the same weight. At least they can be like, VBT, okay. you mean velocity bar training? Or? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the velocity, the bar monitoring. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're more motivated probably to, you know, every day, if, even if the bar is the same and they're not used to it, they're like, Oh, okay. At least I can, um, I have a lot of athletes I think would, at least at first probably struggle with that but see but with a velocity it'd be like it's kind of like a throw it's like how far did i throw this how fast did the bar go uh that that tend to yeah you know what they i find they actually like it they actually you know like the feedback from athletes i put on a joint you know it's like once you get the initial the the program set and the workouts going and you're just repeating the same workout or in his case with three different workouts he doesn't have to think right so his job is just to come in every day and pull a shit out of that bar as fast as he can, right? He doesn't have to, you know, it, it, he kind of likes it and, it and it allows them, especially in the technical work to really focus in on what needs to be done. Like they're all their mental energy goes into, um, uh, the technique, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and expressing force in whatever way that is. So, um, you know, whether it's pulling the bar faster or throwing the javelin harder or whatever, or, you know, they, they, it just, there's just less things to think about. And so they can focus in on that and it works quite well. Yeah. That's they, where, the, that's the where feedback I get from the athletes is always really good on that. Yeah. That's where it's at. That fits a lot in with, uh, I just did a Dan John podcast a few uh, weeks ago and that's like, I, one of his big things is the more like willpower you're expending on all these things in the program the less you can really adapt to what matters and uh, willpower is exactly. a thing. Yeah. It's exactly what I'm talking about. It's exactly what I'm talking. It's, it's, it's where's your mental energy, right? Because it can't, you know, and if, if every time the athlete goes in there and oh, it's to, okay, what am I doing today? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I gotta do that. Oh God, I gotta go find this and I gotta, you know, Oh shit. Oh, I gotta go to this weight room because it has whatever, you know, on this day I need, you know, it's just, 
it's just, you know, it's just distracting, right? Yeah. Sometimes you have to do it, but it's, you know. Yeah, it's an awesome way to simplify. Uh, I love it. Well, hey, uh, Derek, I'd ask you this last question, but I feel like it would take us 20 more minutes. So maybe we can get it some other podcast or something like that. Uh, but I, I, I we'll just... ask you, and if it's long, you can cut it out. Oh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep the answer short. All right, awesome. Well, all right, yeah, I'm excited to ask you this one actually. All right, uh, so yeah, last question. Uh, you had you had mentioned this with the parts system before a little bit, and and like weight room throwing weight room. And uh, speaking of Dan John too, I was reading his contrarian approach to discus throwing. He was talking about using, um, like using special strength to teach the skill, like doing working with tires and cones to teach the discus and and. How I was going to ask you in terms of the bonded truck system, like mixing the like the or like you had talked about mixing the order, like the SDE and the CE. Um, is there a time where when you were saying lifting before you throw, would that be like earlier in the day, or you lift and then you go out and throw right afterwards? I, I think Lauren Seagrave did talk a little bit too about like was it Dwight Phillips had peaked out doing the typical order, you know, speed plyos weight room and then so he switched it up and he was improved right off the bat doing that and talking about variety but uh maybe and and trying to keep this quick too but just talking a little bit about is that really what i want to know is like is that like right like one on top of the other time wise or is that spread out throughout the day or just some some quick thoughts on that well it can be either but the way we do it is we we it's i mean we will you know we'll, we'll drag the weights out to the circle so they could step right out of the circle and, and do if it's a clean, do a clean and, you know, relax. Or, you know, when I was coaching the girls up in Pinatan, I had my throwing farm up there. They just jump. I mean, they just jump on the quad, ride the quad up to the weight room, do a few sets and come back down <laughs> and throw again. It's done right there. The whole thing. It's literally you take four or five throws and run up to the weight room, do a few sets, do whatever's prescribed, come back down. It's all done right there. You it doesn't have to be that way. You could, you can change it up any way you want. It's the, 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 you know, the thing that's important. And I think this was in your example with Lauren is that it's not about really the so much about the specifics of what you're doing. It's the actual change. That is what's, what's, what's important. So that's the way I would answer that. I mean, it's, it's, but, but we do it, you know, I mean, uh, I'm always trying find ways to change to to change change things up so that there's you know we're not doing the same thing because they adapt to everything and that's what we don't that's what a lot of coaches don't understand and what i didn't understand is still i started doing the bonner trucks just they change they adapt to the to the exercises they adapt to the reps the loading schemes they adapt to the structure of workout uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, we're not the first people to say this, you know, you want to change, turn things around, change the order of things in workout. It's, it, it may be just enough to, to create, a, you know, even with the same exercise, it might just be enough to, to stimulate adaptation. You have to get creative with it, but not be nuts, right? Not be insane and not, not cause, you know, not, not do things that are going to get people hurt. Oh yeah, no, that's that's an awesome answer. It actually fits with like a lot of stuff I've been thinking about lately. And I, I remember when I first um, started work as a full time college strength coach, one of the track coaches had said like, "Oh yeah, we used to do like deadlifts right before our block starts." And I'm thinking, "Okay, is that good? Is bad? Potentiation?" But it's like, yeah, it's just a subtle change. Like, did it create a change? Like, was it just enough to? It's not like is this the ultimate thing you should do all the time? But I mean, it's so what you said there. 
fits uh, really well within that and and even um even in my own personal workouts just for even fitness just i just wanted to do something different so i went out the track and did some kettlebell swings and sprinted right after and i felt really good the day after like i was jumping out of the gym and it was just like my body just needed something different it wasn't that i should do yep. this workout all the time like but for man for a few weeks it feels awesome so yep. that's great stuff and all we do is control that all we do is control and monitor it simple yeah within it. a set of rules i love it all right well hey great stuff today derek thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and no uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity yeah, it's always good talking to you, and I definitely uh, – I, I love going down the training rabbit holes and training structure as well as when to simplify training structure and, and, and helping to bring things back to this like manageable uh, set of ideas that you can really use to get athletes better. So really appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here today with us. Glad to have you as a listener. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, you have the time. The best way you can help us out is to review the podcast, share it with those who you think might benefit from learning a little bit more about how to uh, really deliver and fine-tune adaptations through the Bondarchuk training principles. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great guest. It was awesome to have Derek on today. Uh, also, please don't forget, visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. We'll see you guys next week.